Shandy Chernow, and you're listening to the Shandyland podcast. If you've been listening for a while, you know I love talking to chefs, and today I have the best of that category, a chef instructor, and bonus points, sommelier. This is Chef Brian Hay. He is the department chair at Dallas College for Culinary and the founder of Art of the Pear. Chef, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to talk to you. Oh, absolute pleasure to talk with you too. I'm looking forward to this. Let's get into it. Let's play. Yeah, I am a total wine snob, but in like the worst way, right? Okay, you're going to have to explain that. I cannot wait to get into the sommelier and art of the pair pieces. Sure. Because I'm sure I like terrible wine and I buy it because, (laughs) you know, the labels are pretty or whatever, right? (laughs) And so I really want to talk about all of the wine stuff, but First, I want to hear your chef and sommelier journey. That's something I've never gotten to say before. Okay. Chefs are so interesting. What was your aha moment? Like when you decided you absolutely have to get into food and uh, when you decided to become a chef and all the things that happened along the way. Okay. Um, I guess for the chef angle, it was two moments that I always refer to. Um, One as a kid, I grew up in Toronto, Canada, just outside of Toronto. And summers way back when, because I'm old, uh, there wasn't much on TV or anything. There wasn't a lot to do. So I'd be playing outside with friends and hanging out, you know, just causing trouble in the neighborhood. But at two o'clock, somehow I always knew it was two o'clock and I would go inside and run in and watch the Galloping Gourmet. And for all of you that may not know who this gentleman was, he was a chef in Britain. Um that had this cooking show on from like the sixties, because I always remember the ladies glasses were the weird, funky, like the you know, ones. the cat ones. Yes. I couldn't remember <laughs> what it was. It was like those, those things that are hanging out. You guys can't um, see this, but we're both making like these yes, weird we are. gestures. With we are. <laughs> Thank you. Cause I couldn't like, it's the thing with the, the, yeah. the side pieces, like the wings, the wings. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I would go and watch him and I never really knew how to cook. Um, but he was putting four pounds of butter in every dish and eating it and had this beautiful glow on his face. And I'm like, well, there's something to this. And so I grew up in a family of four. I'm the last of four kids. And in Canada, here's a little fun fact you may not know. um, Grade schools in major cities don't have cafeterias. Wait, what? You Grade schools and cafeteria, uh, sorry, cafeterias and grade schools. Uh, There was no cafeterias in grade schools at all. You either brown bagged it or you went home for lunch, snow, rain, whatever. So there was four of us coming home for lunch at different times and we all cooked. And so that's how we learned how to cook. My parents uh, forced us to do that. And so I always said we were slave labor, um, going out and picking strawberries and a Delta 88 for people that know that car, it was a boat. It's like the today's suburban, suburban. You'd fill that thing up and we'd process strawberries. Um, and we'd make 200 jam, 200 jars of, uh, strawberries. So that's how I grew up was cooking and understanding these things or watching the galloping gourmet and figuring out, well, there's something to this. This guy's always happy and I can't figure out why he's got this glow. And then the second one for me, um, was a French Canadian chef. Uh, her name was Madame Benoit and she was on TV in Canada and written a number of books and stuff. And she came and did a demo at a at the home show. I'll never forget it. And I clearly remember this because she made meatloaf. It was wrapped in bacon and had this beautiful glaze on it. It was absolutely just picture perfect when she pulled it out of the oven. 
And my mom was with me and I'm like, she's serving this, right? Cause I'm like, I got to have a piece of this. And they didn't serve any of it. I'm like, Oh, come on. So at the end, I walked up to her and just said, Hey, can I get a piece? And she looked down at me like this kid's asking me for a piece. I'm tired and I don't want to deal with this. But she goes, honey, you're so beautiful. I'll give you a piece. And I popped it in my mouth, forgot it was molten, you know, because it just came out of the oven. And it's so it's nuclear hot with bacon fat and everything. And I'm like, I, to this day, I've always tried to make that meatloaf the exact same. And I've never done it. I've come close, but I've never replicated that. So to me as a chef, the best part about it is we get to play with food and it's a daily challenge. Um, you know, I tell the students all the time, you're cooking a chicken breast and this is your recipe today, right? They're like, yep. And they make it fine. And then tomorrow I tell them to make the same recipe with the chicken breast. And they're like, well, I just made it yesterday. And I said, make it the exact same. Because the chicken breast is different. Your ingredients are different. Did you portion everything out exactly? Did you check your temperature? Because a 10 second difference on, this, on the stove makes all the difference in the world. And so that to me is the fun part about being a chef is that challenge of getting it the exact same way, perfect every single day. Um, and it's literally impossible, but that's the challenge. And that's what we focus on. So those yeah, are my I two mean, moments. Somebody comes to a restaurant and has something that's now their favoriteest thing they've ever eaten and they want to go back and have it again. It's got to yep. be the same, right? Yep. It's consistency. That's what we look for in the business. And I think a lot of the upcoming um, students slash chefs forget that they want to be Emerald. And I'm like, yeah, there's one Emerald. You and what could an be... interesting combination between creativity and repetition. Oh, yeah. It's totally like that. Um, Those are two me, wildly different personality types, right? They, they are. They are. But that's, that's the key thing. Unless you get into a restaurant where um, you're changing the menu every day. And then if you're changing the menu every day, it's even harder because you have to respect the food that's coming in and, and make it shine every day. And I know of a couple of restaurants, I, I miss South Carolina for that. There was a restaurant there named Motor Supply and everything came in fresh and they rewrote the menu every single day. And just to see what they came up with was always mind boggling to me, just to see how we honored the ingredients and everything. Yeah, that's a challenge. Yeah, totally a challenge. Um, but I learned so much from him. I never even worked there. I would just sit at the bar and talk with the chef and talk with the staff and just watch plates come out and just see what was going on. And he changed a lot of my techniques just because of the thought process behind it. So um, what's your favorite thing to cook? You and oh, an unlimited pantry. God, I hate that question. <laughs> Sorry. There we are. You've got every I'll, food I'll, in the world at your every fingertips. Food in the world, what do you make it? You know. It depends. It honestly depends on the mood. It really depends on the mood. We're getting into fall. Um, so apple cider is coming out again and winter vegetables are coming out again. And I love ragus and beef stews and braised short ribs and things like that. But then you get into the summer and then you're grilling and it's smoking meats and you got fresh produce. That's the one thing I miss um, from home is my garden. I have a massive garden. And so just going out to the garden and picking whatever vegetables are there and just trying to figure out what to do with them for that day. Um, so there, there's no set food. I mean, if it was my last food on earth, well, we could talk about, you know, like four racks of ribs and. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're into meat wine. is what I'm We're into meat. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'll, I like vegetables more and more and more, but um, yeah, meat, meat is, 
you know, one person actually said to me a long time ago, a doctor said you needed to cut bacon out. And I laughed at him hysterically and went, <laughs> no, and he's no longer my doctor. So if the that doctor said that to me because it tried to kill me and now I can't ever have it again. Oh, you see, well, that's different. That's well, different. I, not I get the food sunny. allergy. I know. I know. <laughs> so I, I hear you. I miss bacon, but it is, it is possible. Yeah. So what's the, I like this question for chefs because I'm always trying to make myself look like a better cook than I am. I can follow a recipe, but that's about as far as I can get. What's your kind of go-to easy thing for dinner parties that people are always like, oh my God, that is amazing. And you think, this was so easy, like a 10 on the taste scale and like a one on the, you know, ease of use scale. Oh, um, my quick and dirty dish. Like if you showed up at my place and I had 20 minutes, I'm doing a carbonara. I'm doing a Southwest version of a carbonara. Um, it's quick. It's easy. I can knock it out. In... Pasta, bacon, raw egg. Yep. Yep. And then I actually do, um, for me, I put in a little either old Bay or, uh, um, Zanarin's in it just to spice it up a little bit. As a Maryland um, girl, you had me at old day. Okay, there we go. Thank <laughs> you. Um, and then what I typically have, and I'll roast off veggies every week, and I'll throw roasted veggies in. So carrots, onions, peppers, all that. I literally just toss it in when I'm whipping in the egg and everything. So, so um, you, you do like a roasted veg meal prep, and then kind of mix it into whatever's happening that week. Yeah. Yep. That's Salads, awesome. whatever. Um, and that's why I'm liking the fall now because the winter veggies are coming back in. You know, we're in September, so the tail end of, you know, the summer stuff is happening, but the winter stuff's starting to come in. Because I went to buy Brussels sprouts two weeks ago, and I'm like, what? What the hell are these? These are not Brussels sprouts. They they're not Brussels sprouts, and they're expensive as hell. And I'm like, okay, you got a couple more weeks until they start coming in again, and we'll be good. So. All right. So what happened to make you decide that, you know, in your chef journey, obviously mm -hmm. you have a huge passion for food. What made you decide to head down the instructing path? I always wanted to do it. There was no, I always said that was one of the goals I wanted to do. I just never knew how to get into it. And I lucked into it. Um, when I did my undergrad in Canada, um, anytime I could volunteer and work in the kitchen or doing events and stuff, I would do that. And that helped get me into Purdue of all things. And at Purdue, I taught, I taught a dinner series class and worked with uh, chef Hubert Schmieder. He just passed last year, but when I met him, he was certified 52 years, culinary Olympic champion. And I, I always say he abused me exceptionally well the first six to eight months. Cause I would tell him something. He's like, Oh, you know, nothing. <laughs> you're the nugget generation let me teach you something and um so the passion came from that and just learning you know hey teaching is actually harder than it think harder than most people think they think you're passing on information I'm like no I've got to know more than you um and 20 years ago that was a piece of cake if I read six books and teaching a freshman class, well, what's the odds of those students reading six books? I get one maybe two, every two years. Now we got cell phones. All I literally made my son breakfast yesterday from a TikTok video. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's how I learned that's, to make it. That's that's the new hot thing now. That's what I'm, you know, I'm setting up for video use, uh, filming videos at the school or at the school and at home because of this, because people learn a bit okay culinary students are visual mm -hmm. they hate reading 
I'll just say this now, culinary students hate reading, but if you give them pretty pictures and the notes with it, done, done. And that's how they do well. So teaching to me is, is being able to explain a concept. And I think the coolest part is explaining the concept to 10 to 20 to 30 different people who learn differently. That is harder than cooking any day of the week. I mean, bar none and, and seeing the light bulb, seeing them get the light bulb. It's the hardest thing, but yeah, I, I lucked into the business or got suckered in. I'm not really <laughs> sure to this day. Is um, that your favorite moment in teaching when the light bulb goes off for somebody? Oh God, yes. Class? Oh yeah, totally. Um, that is the coolest thing when you see them go, okay, I got it. And then I call it the floodgate opens because now they've got it but you get 40 new questions coming up because they're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And I'm like, okay, awesome. You got this. Let's ease into the next set of questions because they want to know. Because when you learn, you get a thirst for knowledge and you want to push forward and learn more and more and more. And that to me is the coolest thing about it. So when, when you see a student get it and then the floodgate opens, then it's like, all right, here we go. Now, now the teaching what, starts. Yeah. Now the teaching starts. Yeah. What's your least favorite thing about it? Grading. <laughs> Plain it, and, it, and it's not a matter of, okay, it's monotonous and, and tiring. It's, I've always said I have this way of seeing quality in a person. And when you see a student and you know they've got talent. I mean, I've seen students that are more talented to, than I am when they're 22 and I'm an old fart right now and I see it and they write a paper and I'm like, Oh God, you could have done better. Really? This, this is what you're giving me. There is no effort in this. That is the disheartening part about, about oh, grading. I mean, I'm not a teacher. It was never meant to be that way, but with my kids, it is the number one fight that we have is when they mm -hmm. don't give me effort. I'm like, I don't care yep. what your grades are. Of course, I expect straight, A to, straight A's out of you, but only because I yep. know you're capable of it. Right. And when you give right. me no effort, I don't care what it's at dishes or, right. you know, anything. It, it drives me up a wall. I can totally yep. see that. Yep. You know, I've always said I'd rather have 10 C students that struggled and worked their butts off instead of one A student who just walked through everything because they're not, they're not learning stuff. They're just, they're cruising. So they're not being challenged. And then how do you challenge them in, in your curriculum confines and everything else? It's, it's a battle. So in the kitchen with the students, they are cooking biggest pet peeve. Safety. Safety. Actually, no, no. Safety is the first semester because they come up to you holding a knife going, look, chef, I got a question. They're pointing <laughs> a knife at you. And I'm like, knife down. right? Because they're just not thinking. You can break them of that of the first semester, and it's just it's just repetition. Um, organization, organization. In, um, I've always said this: cooking's ninety percent organization, ten percent execution. I spend ninety percent of my time figuring out what I'm going to do, and then the actual ten percent is actually physically doing it. And so, when the students just come in, and you can tell they haven't prepped that is really a big one where they have the recipe book and they're literally reading from the recipe book, turn on the oven. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I got to do that. And you see them walk over to the oven and turn it on and they come back and they're like, get your ingredients. Oh, that's smart. Okay. Let me go do that. When instead of having 
you know, everything written out on a recipe card. And if like, if you come to my house, you will see recipe cards stuck to all the cabinets, like literally. And I have multiple books where I find this good recipe and I write it down, but I code it. And I tell this to students, code it however you want. I don't, I don't care. Whatever all my your shorthand metric. for the kitchen Yeah, is. exactly. Mine's metric because I grew up in Canada. So you'll never understand my stuff because everything's weighed in grams, but you pull a scale out and you can knock it out. So I can look at any recipe I've written 10 years ago and I, the coding's the same. And I'm like, okay, it's this, it's this, it's this, this, and I get this end product. So That's you how it hear work. A, you want to hear a funny sort of star story about the metric Go system? Ahead. Go ahead. So, you know, in Sirta star, you have to put recipes in, right? Otherwise, right. how do you know what someone might be allergic to? Sure. The, the main developer who was in charge of putting in the, um, making the recipe page, if you will, mm-hmm. fought me tooth and nail on using anything but grams and milliliters. He's like, why would you ever do that? That makes no sense. Like there's no, there's no need for any other measurements. And so we literally had to start opening cookbooks and being like, look, here's what a recipe <laughs> looks like, right? It, Americans don't think that way. And I mean, right. tooth and nail. Right. Like the original version of Star that no one ever got to see because it didn't get released, only grams and milliliters, nothing more. See, and I kind of like that. but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, because I always ask the students this question. I'm like, okay, so um, so actually this happened the other day. We were packing, so we pack ingredient boxes because some of our classes are online. So students are picking up stuff. And it said 10 ounces of flour. Was that weight or volume? That's weight should be that's not volume but, only liquid volume is announced right but did they did the instructor translate it that way or did they just do I it i don't know and neither do i so now i have to go and find the instructor to confirm its weight instead of doing it in grams where i'm like it's automatically weighed yeah so yeah no. i understand i understand the argument <laughs> I <get it. laughs> all right let's talk about wine okay how did you decide to be a sommelier you're a master sommelier, right? No, 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 no. But there's no, this, no. In, your, in your things, they're studied for that. So talk, tell me all about okay. how that works and, and okay. how you decided and what you went through and all the things. Okay, so the background in wine started um, in undergrad. And we actually had um, a guest chef come in and he taught um, French cooking. So the whole semester he taught French cooking in French. And I realized after 12 years of taking French in grade school and everything, my French sucked. French. Oh, after, <laughs> after two weeks, I, I always say I had monks overthrowing this government because my translation and my friend was sitting beside me and they're like, that's not even close to what, what he was saying. Well, he was a chef. He's also, he was a master sommelier. And so he did this deal where he said, okay, at the end of the class, I'm going to bring a case of wine. I'm going to bring from my cellar. Here's your job. Yeah. So now we're all like, we hear seller. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Here's, here's the game. Goes, you're going to go to the, the wine store, whatever wine shop you go to. And Canada was limited, but you go to the store. And there's 20 of us in the class. You go. So each one of you buy a bottle. No parameters. No parameters. Buy whatever you want. I'm going to sit in this room. You're going to keep the wine away from me. Completely in another area. I don't want to see it. You're going to pour a glass. You're going to bring it to me and I'm going to tell you what it is. And we're like, okay, 20 of us has got to skunk this guy, right? Like, sorry, the odds are in our favor. Was so he, I went up was he saying he'll get down to brand and everything? Oh yeah. Oh my oh, yeah. gosh. 
So I went first and I poured him my wine, walked the distance. I'll never forget it. I walked all the way down. So he can't see it, right? Like we've kept this hidden in offices, wrapped the bottles in, you know, foil, in case he peeked in, the whole thing. And I give him the glass and I put it down in front of him. I went, good luck. And he goes, okay. And he picked up the glass, smelt it. And he goes, that's an 87 Vouvray made by such and such. And actually three weeks ago, I was at his vineyard and we were talking and we were wondering about the quality of it. Next, he smelt it. He didn't even taste it. And he was right. To the year. To the year, oh the producer, God. the whole thing. It's by smell. And I turned around and walked off going, because everyone's like, we won, right? And I went, we just got screwed. Like literally. And he did that with everybody. He tasted a few of them, but he nailed all 20. Oh my gosh. And, and I remember- But so then did you get room. to drink the 12 from his cellar? He opened it up. He, he actually went, you all lost, but I brought them anyways. And so we got to try and actually do tasting with them. But it was like- Were oh they amazing? God. Oh, they're, they're unreal. I, it sucks now that I think back on it because I wasn't smart enough to fully enjoy it. I didn't have the palate to enjoy it or anything. Like I knew it was good stuff, but I didn't click in on how good it was. Um, so that's who that was my first take on it. And then um, the International Sommelier Guild wanted to teach classes in Texas. So they called us up when I was in Austin. They said, hey- we want to teach classes at your school. And I did some research and I'm like, okay. And they're like, well, we're flying a guy in from Toronto. So you can take the class for free and then become our instructor. Okay. Are you in? And I'm like, duh. And so we spent a today? year. Yeah. And I spent a year doing that. Um, Cause the first six months actually was at our school. And then six months I actually had to drive to Houston for six months, every Sunday three hours drive to Houston. I shouldn't say this out loud, but drink for six hours and then turn <laughs> and drive back. Sorry, I was tasting. It was, it was a tasting. long time ago. It was a long time ago. Um, so yeah, we got to try a whole bunch of stuff, but I realized as a Psalm, we know, here's what I would say. A sommelier knows a lot of stuff. 90% of what we know is irrelevant to the consumer. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean that. So that this goes to my point, right? Like, I I think that label is pretty. Let's try that. Exactly. Well, ninety seven percent of all the labels produced are designed to be sexy, so somebody yeah. buys it. Yeah, of course, totally. Well, it's not like it comes with a scratch and sniff or like a taste. <laughs> like you can't. You're in the store and you're not sure what you want. You don't get right. to taste it. Right. In most cases, you don't. Um, right. Don't ever read for all the people that are listening to this. Back labels are written by Hallmark people. So the part where it's like a fruity bundle of joy followed yes. by peaches or whatever. Yes, our, our grapes were sun-kissed in the Napa Valley, slowly being touched by lilac growing yonder. Yeah, bullshit, right? Um, a lot of it is to get people interested in buying it, but at the same point, a lot of it, sometimes it's misinformation. Um, okay, so let's just say that you're at the wine store. Yeah. Just for kicks. Mm-hmm. You want to get something different sure. from a vineyard you don't know. Right. How do you pick? Okay. So I tell this to everybody. You go to a wine store where your, um, your salespeople learn your palate. So I like the following five or six. Yep. These make so me happy. If, if you came in, let's say I'm going to sell you. I'm like, okay, so what do you typically drink? You know, what grape variety? What do you, do you have a region you like? 
cool. Um, All right, so I'm I'm Sav Blanc from California, just to answer that question. Awesome, okay, so you wanna change. Do you want something bigger or do you want something lighter tonight? I don't know, just something different, I'm bored. Something bored, okay. You pairing I, it with so food? So I, I don't like Sav Blanc from New Zealand. I have learned that the hard way. Okay, awesome. And I like red wine, but not if it makes me go. So you don't like the tannin, you don't like the bitterness and you don't like dry, okay. So do you want to go white or red? Surprise me. Awesome. You got a price point you're going with? Uh, $25. Perfect. Um, are you pairing with food or are you just chugging tonight? Chugging. Good. Then I'm going to take you to my area because if when I used to sell wine, I had areas in my head of mm -hmm. at 25 bucks, I'm going here. 30 bucks, I'm going here. And so I'm going to go and say probably for 25 bucks and you don't like bitterness and we're going to go red. I'm probably going to go Grenache from Southern Rhone and we'll do this blend. Or we can go Zinfandel from California because it's not going to have the bitterness. Or we can do Pinot, but the Pinot is a little dusty and a little dirty and a little earthy. So I don't know if you want that, if you want fruit forward or not. On, on, on. Um, the biggest thing I always say, I ask this question all the time. I'm like, what's your favorite dessert? And if people tell me what, like, if I could pull out a dessert right now, and you're, you're going to die, and this is your last dessert, what is it? And based on that, I can figure out your flavor profile. Hershey bar. Hershey bar? Almonds or not? No, not allergy. No. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Still no before that. Anyway. Right. <laughs> Nobody messed with my chocolate by making it crunchy. Okay. No, that's fine. So it's great Hershey's bar. <laughs> So at that point, I'm probably going to go a Raymond Merlot because you're going to have a little cocoa powder dust in it. It's not going to be bitter. It's going to be smooth and silky and you want rich palate. Say, I got this. I love it. That's that's how the game works. So, so the key is is to go someplace where someone who actually knows the wine that they sell has wine. tasted yeah. it. If, the, if they haven't tasted it, they can at least make a good recommendation. I mean... We've got specs here in Texas, and I know they're carrying like four or 5,000 bottles, different varieties. There's no way they can taste it all. But, Fair but give me your recommendation. Learn my palate um, because it's a trust factor. I want you to trust me because if you trust me, if I'm selling to you and you trust me, you're coming back. Totally. Right? And you're coming yeah. back with more people because you're telling your friends. So my sales are going up. So that, that to me is the game is that I want you to trust me. Let's figure out what your palate yeah, so you is and go from you there. You gotta do good. Yeah. Hmm. All right. So what are the levels of, of psalming? Can I make that verb? <laughs> and how does one get there and how different are they? And okay. all that stuff. So, so I'm certified with international sommelier guild at their top level. Um, I'm certified with a quartermaster sommelier. So there's four levels with that. There's introductory. There's sommelier, which I'm at level two. There's advanced sommelier, and then there's master sommelier. Oh, wow. And master, um, I think last count, there's like 100, I'm probably going to get this number wrong. I think there's only 125 worldwide. So very small, even if the number is very wrong, small. It doesn't matter. Not very many. No, it's it's insane. The exam for that is insane. And those um, those are the guys who can sniff the wine and tell you what it is. Oh yeah, <laughs> I've I've sat with them. It's kind of funny. I was I was looking at the list. Yes, I was looking at the list, and I know seventeen of them. I've been able to drink, sit down, wow. and drink with seventeen of them. 
And it's disgusting drinking with them because they're just like, oh, this, this, and this, and they're going through nuances. And I'm like, I just smell grape, right? I feel like such an amateur with them, but they're tasting 125 wines every day. Oh my God. Typically, you know, at some point it just tasting, gets blurry, right? You're like, I don't know what I'm tasting. No, anymore. they, they, they can, for me, it's blurry. Yeah. After a for while, me it's but, blurry for them, too. but for them, it's, they, they can tell you, they so can tell you the note. Is expensive wine much more worth it? Like, is, do you get like extra for every dollar that you spend? No, it's perception. There's certain wines out there that we call them. I call them the cult wines. Um, they're big names. Um, Silver Oak is one of them. When mm-hmm. I see Silver Oak on a menu, it's always like three times overpriced. It's a great wine. I am not knocking Silver Oak at all, but since it's that name, because they people can know upcharge. it, they pay more for it. They can upcharge. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I go when I go to Silver Oak, I'm getting a bottle for like forty-five bucks or fifty mm-hmm. bucks. If you go to a restaurant, it's one hundred and fifty, and I'm like, I get markup, but that's ridiculous. But like, if you, you know? take, let's take three bottles from vineyards nobody knows mm-hmm. let's go with Sauv Blanc because that's mm-hmm. my baby yeah we have a ten dollar bottle a forty dollar bottle and a hundred dollar bottle can you tell the difference i don't know yeah um the more you drink the more you get nuances okay so let me let's backtrack a second here i'm gonna ask you a question are you a coffee or tea person coffee you have to have your coffee right every day Every day. From who? You'll laugh at me. Go ahead. I drink chocolate glazed donut from the donut house. Okay. That's fine. I like flavored coffee. No. It, okay. I'm embarrassed nope. to say that out loud. There, no. If you, if you like it, that's fine. And I'll say this about beverages. Honestly, if you've tried everything and this is what you like, fine. But don't tell me it's the best if you haven't tried everything. Fair, Fair enough? enough. Yeah. Okay. Like I hate so, all hotel coffee, no matter how good the hotel coffee is. It isn't my coffee. Right. Okay. So now your palate. So here's the difference. If I went and made that coffee for you, the glazed donut deal, if I made it for you using that coffee, you'll probably know if I made it or not, because it'll be slightly different, maybe different water, different temperature, whatever, but you know, it's different. Sure. Same with wine. The more you taste, the more you get to what I call the subtle nuances and you pick up the little things that are there. Um, and that just takes time and practice. And, and the biggest thing is focus. The biggest thing is focus. Um, everyone's like, well, you can taste this. And I'm like, well, it's not that I put it in my glass and left it out of yours. It's in your glass too. You got to relax and let your mind tell you what's there instead of forcing it. So when I teach wine, I have a statement, shut up what's in the glass. And I say that out loud every single time when I'm teaching and their students are like, what does that mean? And it's like, for me, it's clear the mechanism. Yeah, I know the bottle. I bought the bottle. I mean, I'm bringing it in, so I know what it is. But I have to constantly tell myself, don't, you know, this is this is caps off. No, it's not. What's here? Truly what's here? Because is it is the bottle good? You know, um, is it faulted? If the bottle's good, is it at the right temperature? Is it all, I have to process it clean, fresh, new every single time. And that's the hardest thing about wine about all beverages is you have to look at it clean every single time refresh um and you're doing that with your coffee so you know exactly what i'm talking about right you get it but people don't do that with wine it's like oh i'm just drinking it Woo! and i'm like cool you know you've been drinking a bad bottle for 30 minutes but that's fine 
Yikes. Yeah. You can tell if a bottle's bad. So tell me about the art of the pear. You founded a a consulting company specifically about this. And I realized I was about to ask you about pairing things, but then we hadn't talked about art of the pear yet. So, so so tell me all about it and what services you offer there. Okay. So, um, I started this literally when I was in Michigan. Um, I left my school up there and for like seven years I've been led. I've just had this weight on me to write this book about food and wine pairing. And in Austin, I was like, yeah, I'll get to it. And then in South Carolina, we did what we call um, the danger meals. And I'll explain that real quick because I know that doesn't make sense to the, to the listeners. Um, long and short of it is every Every semester I was there, we did five to seven wine dinners and the vendor would bring in the wine. He would send me the notes on the wine. So I call it a cut sheet. It's like, this is the wine and it tells you blah, blah, blah. Right. But it doesn't tell you what's, it tells you stuff, but it doesn't tell you what's in the bottle. You haven't tasted it. Well, dinner's at 630. He shows up at 530. I get to taste the wines at six. I've got to match all the wines with the food that I've curated. In addition to that, I never published the menu. So at six o'clock, people are arriving. 6.30, we start, I'd walk out. And I'm like, okay guys, how's everybody tonight? Awesome, do I have any allergies? Okay, I got a <laughs> shellfish allergy. Well, I knew about, there was one lady who always came in shellfish. Yeah. Great, oh, I'm pescatarian. Awesome, I've got you covered. Um, I don't like pork, great, okay, cool. Is that it? Awesome. And I'd run back in the kitchen and be going, oh, and just dropping F-bombs going, okay, here we go, someone get me some fish. And so the goal was to pair wine or beer with this on the fly, blind, and get it right every time. And so the whole concept for me is, um, and I just presented this at ACF in August, there's eight components in food and wine, rated from sugar and acid and all of that. They're the same things. The goal is if you can pair four of those components with each other, they both get better. If I get five, it's even better. I've done seven. So I nailed seven components between the food and actually was a beer tasting. Um, And if you ever get the chance to do that with me, it's fun because if I get above five, you'll hear me start giggling because I'm like, oh, I just nailed this. Because now you're trying to figure out nuances. To dumb this down, you want something sugary with something sugary or something acidic with something acidic. Yep, exactly right. Exactly right. If I know the wine, it's been stored in a brand new oak barrel, it's going to have a smoky wood flavor. So therefore, I'm going to take the food and I'm going to try to smoke it. Yeah. So I've taken beef short ribs and cold smoked them. I've actually sacrificed a couple of my cigars and cold smoked them in tobacco. And then we'll grill them and finish them off to match with the wine. So you don't know it's there until I tell you, but the nuance is there. Um, I've poached shrimp and Mountain Dew. (laughs) <laughs> the match with French wine. Yeah. Now I, I said that on purpose just to see that look on your face. You all can't see it, but she's like, um, what did he just say? <laughs> so a flat Mountain Abject Dew. Confusion and shock. Exactly. So Mountain Dew, which was still my drink of my soft drink of choice because of the buzz. I have Mountain yes. Dew over here. Yes. Yes. All right. Um, a flat Mountain Dew is not that sweet. And it actually has the same flavor profile as a Marsan Roussant. And they gave me that French wine. I was sitting in the grocery store. I looked at it and I just started giggling. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. I know what we're going to do. And I poached the shrimp in Mountain Dew. It was a Mountain Dew, you know, with veggies in there and everything else. And then I had a little sauce with it. 
put it out there and they're drinking the wine and eating the shrimp and they're like, this is perfect. And I went, yeah, I poached it in Mountain Dew and walked out the room and everyone went. Same look I gave you, I'm sure. Exactly. And then I actually had one of the students who was helping me go out and like, no, he poached it in Mountain Dew for God. There were the cans in the trash can. There's so many opportunities out there to pair food and wine. And so long and short of it is I learned how to do it there. And then I said, this is something that's not taught. As chefs, we're taught food and you throw a beverage on it. And sommeliers were taught beverages and you throw food throw on it. Food at it. Yeah. And nobody's done this. And so that's the whole goal of the company is to actually link them together and explain it to chefs. Um, and so the presentation I just did, I said, I've got 30 minutes to explain how to become a sommelier to you. And I taught them how to be a som, all the chefs in 30 minutes. And I went, good, you got food and wine pairing now. Let me show you. And I pulled out a petite Syrah and the Texas Beef Council was amazing. They actually uh, brought in beef that they cooked for me and we did the pairing live and everyone's like, oh my God, we get it. I'm like, that's it. It's all component-based. Everything we do is component-based. You already know it. You know the components as a chef, no one's ever told you in the wine. And as Psalms, we know in the wine, nobody's ever told you in the food. So that's what the whole book is about to get that. That's really organized. cool. Organized. Yeah. So tell everybody where they can find the book or where so the book's still working. We'll be able still, to find it. We'll be able to find it. www.artofthepair.com. And pear is a P A I R. Yeah. <laughs> no fruit, just one. No fruit, even though my logo is is a pear in it, just to go and put that together. Nice. Yeah. Um, and then how can they connect with you online outside of the art of the pear? Um, with Facebook, with Dallas College. Um I'm easy to find. Uh, link up with me on Facebook at Brian Hay or Art of the Pair because I do have a site for that. On Instagram, I have my account for Art of the Pair. Um, getting on Twitter slowly. Um, yeah, <laughs> so, I have yet yeah. to. I have Twitter accounts. Yeah, same here. Same here. I set all that up at the beginning and I never got to it. Um, but yeah, the big thing is um, whatever questions you have, just ask. It's amazing. A good friend of mine um last night uh texted me and she's like i'm on Lamet. i'm in oregon willamette valley what should i drink Peanuts. and i went okay you're going here 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 in like three minutes and she's like really and i went yeah love that area go to elk cove it's absolutely beautiful and then go to chilean and have their pinot make sure you try shard at all these places because it's phenomenal and she's like oh my god so i try to be responsive i try to answer within 24 hours but you know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hoard information. A lot of chefs and a lot of sommeliers spend a lot of time with me passing on info, so that's what I do. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, so I am super intrigued to hear what your two truths and a lie are because you promised oh. me before we started recording this that you were not going to rat yourself out for what your two truths and a lie were. So I take didn't. it away. Don't don't tell us which one's the lie, and in okay. no particular order. Okay. So real simple. You know, I grew up in Canada. So I love rock music and I'm a diehard Rush fan. Sorry, just how it works. Um, the funny part is living in Michigan now. So I've read this stat. Um, anywhere you live in Michigan, you're within five miles of a lake. <laughs> right? So everyone, all, all the people down here are like, you love fishing, right? You love to go fishing. And I'm like, hell no, I detest fishing. I'll eat the fish. I will clean the fish, but I ain't going to catch it. All right. Die hard rock man. Hate fishing. Yep. And the last one, 
As a psalm, I don't care for Jen. Juniper berries. I like juniper berries, but I just don't care for Jen. Fair enough. Jen and I had a bad date in her video. That's what I always say. <laughs> is it on TikTok is the question. Yeah. <laughs> Chef Brian Hay, thank you so much for being here. This has been an absolute pleasure. What a great conversation. I know everyone's going to enjoy it. Listeners, thank you so much for sticking around. As always, this has been the Shandyland Podcast, and we will talk to you soon. 